Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. Welcome to episode 15 of the Fearless Storyteller. I'm trying something a little different with a loosely scripted introduction. It's NaNoWriMo this month as I record this. It's November 6th, and that means we're six days into National Novel Writing Month. If you're struggling to find a writing routine that works for you, you might want to check out the bonus episode I posted a couple weeks ago with Ira Heineken. We got into some really great stuff. He's got a lot of interesting insights and tools that work for him that I think might work for you too. The episode's called Find Your Resolve to Write with Ira Heineken. And for myself, I'm in a routine right now. It's definitely going to be a busy, interesting month chopped up with travel and a lot of projects to wrap up. But right now I'm 12,000 words in, six days in and just wrapped up book three in a trilogy, which means I'm going to have to find the other 38,000 words somewhere else if I want to win. In last week's episode, I talked with Professor Marilyn Horowitz, and she's a screenwriting professor at NYU. She teaches an award-winning class, and she's really insightful. She's got a book called How to Write a Screenplay in 10 Weeks, and I'm giving away a copy of that, so be sure to check out the episode notes either this week or in last week's episode, and you just might win a copy. Now let's get to the interview. Patrick J. O'Donnell is a street sergeant with the Metropolitan Police Department, and he's also the author of Cops and Writers, which is a series of books for authors and screenwriters, and the first one's out right now, and it's getting rave reviews from both communities. As a technical consultant for crime and police procedure, he's passionate about helping storytellers write more authentic and accurate crime stories. Patrick could have stopped at using personal anecdotes to inform his nonfiction works, but he wanted to get the details right, so he also reached out to law enforcement officials around the country to help round out his book as one of the leading resources on day-to-day police life. You're also going to get a chance to win a copy of the first volume of Cops and Writers. What do you have to do? You'll want to join the Fearless Storyteller on Facebook. When you join and comment on this episode's post, you'll be automatically entered as long as you live in the United States. Patrick O'Donnell, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller. Well, thanks for having me, Ethan. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's a pleasure. And so for people who may not know who you are, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. But before I do that, I just want to throw out a quick disclaimer. I do not officially represent any specific police or law enforcement agency and do not intend for any of this conversation to be legal advice. If you need a lawyer, you should probably get one. Great. And Uh, if you need a lawyer after listening to this show, we're probably in trouble. I'll just (laughs) add that. Okay. Um, Okay. So as far as who I am, I am a police sergeant in a large metropolitan police department. Uh, It's a city of 600,000 people. The department is about 1,800 sworn members. Um, We are consistently in one of the top 10 most violent um, 
cities in the country. Not that we're proud of that, but that's what happens in big cities. Mm -hmm. Um, I am 55 years of age and I am about three months away from retiring from police work. Wow. Congrats. Thank you. Unless you don't want to retire. Oh no, I do. I mean, I can keep working, but my department is 25 and out. Whereas you work 25 years, you can retire. Yeah, that's great. It is. And if you want to stick around, you can. And there's some people that do. There's some people that take off uh, as quickly as possible when they hit the 25-year mark. And there's some that leave early, especially um, if you had another career before you joined the police department. Right. And you, yeah. And you kind of got on a little bit later on in life. You know, it's common for military people. Mm-hmm. that did their 20 or 25 with the military and then got on the police department, then you get a partial pension. Right. That would make sense. They wouldn't really need the full, the full meal deal. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's. I'm also a published author. Um, my first book, well, actually I've written, this will be three nonfiction books. The latest was uh, cops and writers from the Academy to the streets. Right. Which is and great. That's a police procedure book for authors and screenwriters. Kind of the meat and potatoes of uh, how do you become a cop? Who becomes a cop? What's the process like? I kind of walk people through, um, like I said, from the academy to the street. Mm-hmm. So the different divisions. That you've read the book. I assume. Yeah. And yeah. you get into the bureaucracy too, kind of the you know legitimate setup. It's a day job just like any other in many ways, it sounds like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, I've written fiction also. Um, I'm an active member in the 20 books to 50 K group. Mm. So I'm a big believer in the, in indie authors group of people. You know, I've met a lot of cool friends and yeah, it, I'm looking forward to segueing from one career to the next. I also mm. consult with authors, you know, they'll give me their manuscript and I'll go through them you know, check them for authenticity, you know, would this really happen? Do you do it that way? More, you know, just making sure they're realistic. Right. And is that something that you're planning to do more of after you retire from policing? Yes, I do. Um, I also hooked up with an indie uh, filmmaker that was doing a police story. And I saw the YouTube, the short video it was probably like less than five minutes and there was a bunch of stuff wrong with it. And I told mm. him what was wrong with it and he wasn't very happy and I never heard from him again, but oh well, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the way it is. Right. That's good. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, you'll have serious screenwriters who will come to you and be ready to, to get the details. Right. I hope so. Yeah. Hey, this is a, uh, I guess, a. Uh, self-indulgent question i'm i've finally had enough people tell me like in the screenwriting community particularly like you need to watch the wire you need to watch the wire you need to watch the wire so have you seen the wire you know i feel bad that i have not okay I, so, I so you could join me i'm i'm only on season one okay well i could i guess i could binge but i have a hard time watching any kind of police show on tv Ah, I, I was gonna ask about that. You yeah, know, my wife loves that stuff. Yeah. So you know, sometimes I'm quote unquote forced to watch these things, but 
I'll start telling her what's wrong. You know, it's like, oh my God, they did that. They'd go to jail. Oh, that'd be thrown out of court. <laughs> you're probably not much fun to watch it with. Unless, not you're, at all. unless you're hanging with the screenwriters, in, in which case we'd probably want to hire you to watch these shows with us. Yeah. But, you know, but, you know, fiction is fiction. And I always tell, you know, my clients and authors, hey, it's your story. But mm. I think you should know where True North is. You should know what the way it should be done. And that'll give you a little bit of a barometer to see, well, how far am I going to deviate from that? Mm. Yeah. So, you know, it's good to know like the way it should be done, but yeah, you know, you have creative license, I guess. Right. You know, I guess there's purpose for every story. Yes. Um, but it probably doesn't hurt to get things right as much as the story allows. And do you, do you have the same kind of reaction with books as well to TV shows as far as like mystery, crime, and thriller? Yeah, I mean, I think they all kind of run around in the same circles. You know, sometimes books can be a little more realistic because Hollywood, you know, let's face it, Hollywood wants to be Hollywood and they want to make it interesting and keep people's attention. Hmm. Or with books, you know, things can go a little, drag on a little bit longer and, you know, it's a different beast. But right. uh yeah, but yeah, getting back to watching TV with my wife, I'm, I'm I've been told that I really can't say that much anymore when I'm doing that, so I stay quiet. Yeah, I get, I get, I get, I have my own bad habits watching TV with the wife. It's like, oh, he's denying the quest. Oh, he's made an active choice. The first act is over. I feel like, shut up. I just want to enjoy this. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or especially with the kids' movies. But oh yeah. So given given your perhaps reaction now to the types of fiction and, and shows, like uh, I guess my first question really is what brought you to writing? Well a while ago, well before I was a police officer or was in law enforcement. You know, I went to college, I have a degree in sociology, and my minor was uh, criminal justice. Mm -hmm. I had another minor I almost finished in music. When I first started school, I was going to be a, a music major. Mm. That's how I started, and I wound up doing this. But wow. <laughs> armed with my sociology degree, I, I got out of college, and this, the workforce wasn't a very great place to be in. And I got a job in restaurants. Then after that, I bartended and I sold cars mm. for a living before I became a police officer. So restaurants, bars, and cars. That's probably, yep. that's that's good grounding uh, street <laughs> knowledge, I suppose. For Well, you know, the restaurant that I worked at was an IHOP. It was a 24-hour in a college city. Yeah. And I was tossing drunks out left and right every week. So I got a lot of experience dealing with drunks mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, you really learn how to talk to people that way. Also, it wasn't always a fight, but if you could yeah. deescalate it and just, uh, talk to people, you know, some people don't want to be talked to and some people needed to be thrown out, but that was my life there. And then selling cars, obviously you're negotiating mm. and negotiating in police work is almost all of it. You know, 90% of it's how you talk to people. Yeah. You know, what you're doing is you're responding to somebody's worst day of their life and you're having them, 
you're taking away their freedom, you're arresting them, and at the same time, they're thanking you. Yeah. That's when you know you've done your job right. You know, without yeah. any kind of conflict, it's like, hey, you know what? You got to come with me, but, you know, it won't be so bad, you know, blah, blah, blah. And if you, you develop the rapport, it isn't always possible to do all this. Right. But when you can, it's outstanding. And you feel like you accomplished something. It's like, all right, you know, yeah, you got me, whatever. You know, they turn around, put handcuffs on them, and that's the end of it. Mm. So you're talking people into something that they don't want to do at all. And right. when you were selling cars, you're talking people <laughs> into parting with their hard-earned money. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, they, and they know it's going to be painful. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, and that's the thing. It's all how you do it and how, all how you talk to somebody. So I had a lot of good life lessons beforehand mm. before I ever became a cop. So that worked out good. And at the time, I wasn't happy about that. But looking back, and it gave me an edge over other people that have never worked those types of jobs. I can imagine so. Yeah. And along the way, like, when did you get like this spark of an idea that maybe you wanted to write words on a page? What happened was, you know, I finally got on the police department when I was 30. I took, I went through all the testing when I was 26. It took four years to get on. Mm. And um, I help people buy cars. You know, now I'm on the other side of the desk, per se. You know, people heard that, hey, this guy used to sell cars. You know, could you help me out? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll help mm-hmm. you. So mm-hmm. I, somebody finally was like, hey, you should write a book about that. And I'm like, yeah, I think I will. So I at first I went through the, uh, I was going to go the traditional publishing route that mm-hmm. went south. And somebody told me, he's like, well, you can just put it up on Amazon. I'm like, I can? I'm like, all right. So I did. And it did okay, and it still does okay. I call it, uh, uh, I never wore plaid insider secrets from a former car salesman. <laughs> I and feel like I've seen this book. It's a really terrible cover. It's not edited so great. It's, you know, it's, it was the rough draft of my career, we'll say that. The but, rough yeah, draft of my career. And it's like under that. the, it, you know, I don't have it under my name. I have it under Joel Gray. I yeah. Just, and uh yeah so i had that and that started the wheels in motion and um a buddy of mine that i work with another sergeant was working on his phd and he was sick of writing his dissertation and he liked post-apocalyptic uh fiction Mm. so he wrote a post-apocalyptic book and it did really well Mm. and the cover wasn't that great the editing wasn't that great but it was a really good story i thought And he did really well. And I thought to myself, well, I can do that. Mm. So I I threw up uh, my first fiction book. It did okay. And um, that was a post-apocalyptic. And then I uh, started writing the sequel to it. And at the same time, I I got into the whole 20 books to 50K group. Uh And, you know, one post that I put up there was just me wearing... I'm in uniform. I got this big fuzzy police hat and I'm smoking a cigar and I'm like, Hey, you know what? My name's Sergeant Patrick O'Donnell. If you have any police questions, you know, fire away. Well, the results were excellent. People were PMing me. People were, you know, on the page, lots and lots of response, lots of interest. And, um, I thought to myself, 
more than one person is like, you should really write a book about this. There's nothing fresh or new out there like this. Mm. Yeah, there's a couple of things out there, but you know, they're very old and there's, there's no stories behind like the technical stuff. Yeah. You know, so I thought to myself, what the heck? So that's, I, I shall, I'm about halfway done with the sequel for the post-apocalyptic and I'm like, well, I'll, I'll write this book and boom, there we go. So that's, that's twice that somebody said you should write a book about this and yes. And you were like, Hey, why not? Yep. And so what, you, I don't know if you could put yourself in the headspace of, of where you were at those points, but like, did you have any like internal resistance about that? Like, like, I don't know, like any self doubt. Well, with the car one, I thought to myself, well, this might be a good springboard for a little side business of helping people buy cars, mm. you know, kind of coaching them. Yeah. Cause there wasn't a lot of anything like that out there. So I did it and I thought to myself, like, again, this will be a springboard for a biz. Mm. But unfortunately, people didn't want coaching on how to buy a car. They wanted to do it for you. Ah, uh, yes. So yeah. they that, want the result, not the work. Correct. So yeah. it wasn't worth my time. You know, I'm still working full time. I have a family and I I put up a um a website. And that you know, I ran my business through the website, and it was doing okay. Mm. And I even had an offer from uh, the National Geographic Channel to uh, be a consultant on one of their shows. They were going—I forget what the name of the show is, to tell you the truth—but it never came to fruition. But yeah, it was kind of cool to be considered, at least. Yeah. So it sounds like you were—you you saw opportunity there with the nonfiction books, and that yeah. was yeah. Good, re- good way to channel your expertise into an opportunity and see what happens. Right. And then the, the cops and writers thing, you know, I had people asking me all the time, you know, would this happen? You know, at the last 20 books to 50 K um, conference in Vegas, I had people coming up to me. I was like, Oh, you're the cop guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's me. That's before I even wrote the book. Yeah. You know, I started a Facebook group, cops and writers before I wrote the book and I was kind of using that as a barometer to see if there was interest mm-hmm. and boy, it, you know, it, it did pretty good. I've got, I think it's 820 members right now. That's great. Yeah. Which isn't a lot compared to some, but I don't know. I think it's pretty decent and it, it grew very quickly. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been on different podcasts and along the way, and I'm excited to be on this one. That's for sure. Right. But Thank you. there's uh a saying, you know, it's like, dig the well before you're thirsty. Mm. So I kind of did a little bit of test marketing before I put the work into all this. Right. And, you know, what happened was this is the first book that I hired a professional editor. I hired a professional proofreader. I hired a professional cover maker. I hired mm-hmm. Brian Cohen for the blurb. And you, went, you went all in. I did. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, boy, this is going to cost me a lot of money if I don't, you know, sell anything. I'm like, you know, maybe a few friends and family will buy a couple of books, but I'm hoping there's more than that. Right. And, uh, yeah, in the first two months, I recovered all my money. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I've probably, yeah, I've probably sold about, it's not a ton, it's about 400 books. That's, yeah. 
In about but that's four hundred authors where you've and recovered your. Oh yeah, I I've, probably get great feedback too, and yeah, absolutely. And you know the the great thing about it is, you know, it just I've learned a lot, and you know. I've done audiobooks before, but I was lucky enough to get a, a decent um, narrator for this one, and just the whole process. Mm. You know, every time you, every time you write a book and you put it out there, you know you're learning. It, it yeah. never stops. I know that when I put my first novel out there, I was of course expecting great things, and you know I sold a few copies. The real value of it was I learned so much by publishing it and going through the process and getting developmental editing and learning about hiring a cover designer and all the marketing things. It's like, it's like auditioning for success, like going through it. And it sounds like you've done that a couple times and now you're ready to cash in on this thing that you test marketed and you got the skills and you're doing it. Yeah, you know, like you said, it's it's a learning process, and you never stop learning when it comes to any of this. There's this this business keeps on changing too. You have to stay on top of it. Yeah, I think it's okay to say for for listeners, you are battling an upper respiratory infection. So I'm happy to have mercy on you here. Thank you. you. Hopefully, don't lose your voice. But fascinating story. So you're working on book two. Yes. Right now. And this one's probably going to be even more in demand than the first one because it's got the the sexy bits, right? <laughs> yeah. The, the, it'll be uh, Cops and Writers, Crime Scenes and Investigations is the subtitle. Yeah. And, you know, this will be getting more deeper into the weeds of investigations, you know, what detectives do, what forensic people do, what do, who are the players at a crime scene and what what are their roles? Right. So yeah, and that's that's more or less what you see on TV. That's you know, that's that's what people are interested in. You know, whenever you put up yellow crime scene tape, it's like yeah. moths to a flame. Everybody oh, yeah. comes. Oh out. yeah. Yeah, I never. It's like never see so much community out in the streets as when there's a crime scene. Oh yeah, and if they know it's a homicide, triple that. Wow. Yeah, that's that's kind of dark when I think about it. <laughs> oh, people are fascinated with that. If they know there's a dead body somewhere, oh man. Yeah, you could probably get into consulting with uh, video games too and that kind of thing. I imagine <laughs> that's true. I never thought of that. Yeah. Well, hey, free tip there. A lot of money in video games. There certainly is. Yeah, people like being able to play the detective and do the crime <laughs> scenes and that kind of thing. So, hey. One question I wanted to ask you, since you've delved into writing fiction and nonfiction kind of equally at this point, is how does the experience of writing fiction differ from writing nonfiction for you? Is there is it the same? Is it different? Well, with the nonfiction, you know, the law enforcement stuff, I'm considered an expert if I'm testifying on the stand, which I've done in just about any kind of trial you can think of. Mm. I'm considered an expert in police procedure, you know, incident command, those types of things. So it kind of comes natural. Mm. And I still did my due diligence and my research just to see how other departments do things. Right. I mean, a lot, obviously there's a lot of similarities. You know, we, we have to go by what the constitution says, but <clears throat> just logistics, 
how different departments do what they do, equipment, etc. You know, like I said, I did my due diligence with that in my research. And then as far as fiction goes, you know, I didn't think you use a different part of your brain. Mm. You know, you kind of get in the mood and when you have the words are flowing, it's a great day. And when the words aren't flowing so great, it's not such a great day. Mm. There's always tomorrow. And it's, it's the same with you, but dictation works really good for me when I'm doing fiction. Mm. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're telling a story. And then for the nonfiction, I almost, I've tried dictation. And it doesn't really work. Interesting. It's kind of clunky. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. I don't know why. That is interesting. And I guess, you know, maybe there's a difference in, in the form of just how you're expecting it to show up on the page and how you're organizing it and information hierarchy versus yeah. narrative. Could very well be. Could very well be. Yeah. And so after you're done, you know, you release book two of Cops and Writers. What's next? I was thinking about putting a third book out. I've kept track. I've kept track of um, all the questions I've gotten through social media. Mm-hmm. And some of them are repeats and there's themes to right. certain questions. So I was thinking about doing a book of just questions and answers. It's a good idea. I mean, I, it's a great way to get like just field input on in terms of what people want to know the most and where the gaps are in public knowledge. Right. Right. And you know, if somebody's doing research for a book, they can just kind of skim through and maybe pinpoint exactly what they're looking for. So what genres do you like to read in? I read a variety of books. I try not to just corner myself into one. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm reading When Breath Becomes Air. I got mm-hmm. the audiobook for that. I, I love audiobooks. Hey, do you know about that book? No, please tell me more. When Breath it's Becomes a, Air. It's a book about a neurosurgeon who has this really um, promising career ahead of him. He's 27, 28 years old, and he develops cancer. Mm. And he's got less than two years to live. And him and his wife decide to have a baby. So he's more or less telling his life. He re- he started writing this book when he knew that he was going to die. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So it's a pretty powerful book, I'll so tell this you. So this is nonfiction, yes. like real deal. Oh, yeah. Everything. Wow. Then, you know, I like Neil Gaiman a lot. Mm, yeah. The Graveyard Book with him narrating it is amazing. Mm. And then um, let's see some other books. My le- recent, uh, The Third Door, Alex Benayan. Benayan. That's a very good book. Sapiens, Outliers. I, mm-hmm. Those are the types of books that I like. Okay. The reason I wanted to ask was, in terms of your personal taste, because I think this informs what we write, the taste we have. Um, when you're reading a book, especially a fiction book, like where is it important for it to feel authentic? Like what types of authenticity are important to you? Um, it doesn't have to be 100%, but if things get really goofy, mm. yeah. <laughs> um, Tom Turner writes the Palm Beach series. It's like Palm Beach Nasty, Palm Beach. There's there's a bunch. Mm-hmm. And it's crime fiction. And he's a real interesting guy. And his books are good. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty much spot on. 
there was a few things that we sat down and we talked about what he was doing and what he was doing, what he wasn't doing right. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't so off the map that it was, you know, annoying. That's a high, that's high praise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from a police officer. Yes. So just making sure that there's not enough wrong to, to derail it from the character's journey, basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what he did right is, you know, his main character is a detective and, you know, he's fallible. He's mm-hmm. got things going on in his personal life and everything doesn't work exactly according to plan. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's realistic. You know, some of the common mistakes that authors make are it's one or two extremes with mm-hmm. their main character. Either he's the super stoic, you know, no expression, you know, Joe Friday from Dragnet. Right. Didn't have a lot of personality. Right. Or there's this crazy whack job, you know, on the edge. I always think of, you know, like lethal weapon. Uh-huh. You know, that's on the edge. He's ready to explode at any second, you know, and he's breaking all the rules and his lieutenant's always mad at him. You can't do that. He's a lone wolf. Right. He breaks all the rules and then gets his guy at the end. And it's like, no, if you break all the rules, you're going to get fired and probably criminally charged. Yeah. Like, uh, I think the highest praise I hear about police officers from people who have been reformed criminals um, is that police officers are very procedural and diligent and they're going to get things right because they don't mess up. Right. You know, they, they, that process is just like almost bulletproof. Yeah. If you follow the rules, you're not going to get into trouble for the most part, you know, and in this day and age, everything you do is recorded from the body cameras that the officers wear on the street to the interviews and interrogations that detectives and police officers do with a, you know, a suspect in an interrogation room. That's all recorded. So the defense attorney is also going to get a copy of everything. And the jury might see it if it goes to a trial. So if you start breaking the rules, you know, you're done. How much of, you know, I'm just thinking about from, from my professional background, um, you know, there's like kind of, a dashboard or you kind of have these key performance indicators and like for a police officer, like what, what are those key performance measures? Like, is it how many of your arrests become like convictions or? Well, I guess you could look at it a couple of different ways for a police officer on the street Mm -hmm. or arrests, you know, that are charged by the district attorney or whoever the prosecutor is. So, you know, you've done your job, right? You know, if you keep arresting people for the same thing and the DA keeps throwing the cases out, there's something wrong somewhere. Mm. You know, so nothing's perfect. Police work is definitely that way as well. But a key indicator for a cop on the street is, again, you arrest people and the cases stick, which means that it gets charged by the DA. And then also, do you get many citizen complaints? You know, because mm. citizens will complain about the police. And you'd be surprised. There really isn't a ton. If you're, But it also depends on what you're doing. If you are in a very busy part of town mm-hmm. and say you're in a proactive, you're on a proactive squad mm-hmm. where you're 
not taking assignments, but you're going to look for criminals, doing criminal stuff. You know, a lot of times, you know, you'll get complaints if you're doing that because you're the ones doing the chasing. You're the ones in car chases, foot chases, fighting with people. Mm -hmm. You're the one that's putting yourself in harm's way more than anybody else. That's another thing that TV and books get wrong. They, you know, they show detectives running after people and getting into car chases. That almost yeah. never happens. You know, it's the officer on the street that is the most liability. They're taking the most risk. Mm-hmm. They, they're the ones who do most of the police work. Not to say that there isn't detectives that are in special units, such as like vice or gangs. You know, they'll be getting into that as well. But most detectives are suit and tie detectives. They call them, you know, they're wearing suits and ties that aren't doing any of that. They're doing a ton of follow-up, interviewing people, going over old cases to see if, you know, there's patterns and trends. And then, you know, they do interviews, interrogations. But as far as, you know, going 100 miles an hour down the street, lights and siren, that's a cop. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely one thing that really doesn't get portrayed correctly. So there would be probably a lot of internal tension and maybe dilemma right in that moment of consideration do i do i give chase or you know do i escalate the risk right and oftentimes you have like maybe a second to consider it if that and the thing about it is again you know the officers are the ones that are putting themselves out there and when you do that then yeah you will get some people complaining about you and, you know, I'm the street supervisor, so I've been up at internal affairs multiple times. Hmm. You know, people complaining about me or one of my guys. And But that just came with the territory. When I worked at night, I was in charge of uh, our anti-gang unit, and I had an anti-robbery unit. I, we were very, very you know, proactive. Mm-hmm. So we are going after, you know, the worst of the worst. And oftentimes, they don't like that. <laughs> right. And so... You know, you compare that to say somebody who's walking a beat in a business district, they almost never get a complaint. But as a supervisor, you you have to look and see. It's like, okay, is Officer A getting the same complaint from different people? You know, is okay? Is this a trend? Is this a pattern? Maybe Mm -hmm. we should maybe we should address this. Mm -hmm. So the benchmark for success is to hopefully make it three or 25 years and not get suspended and <laughs> <laughs> any kind of what we call a wrap. Uh-huh. Then the bureau side of things, their benchmark for success is convictions in the DA, you know, charging their cases. And also when say you're a homicide detective clearing crimes. So you have, say there's a homicide mm-hmm. and clearing it means, you know, you found the bad guy or whoever, right. you know, committed the crime right. and they get charged with the crime now right. anything can happen in a trial and most cases don't go to trial when it comes to any kind of crime most things are plea bargain mm-hmm. or the defense attorney can press some type of evidence that's um, very common in narcotics cases gun cases you know did that officer or detective have the right to be in this position to take this you know contraband or the gun or you know the drugs or whatever the case may be you mm-hmm. know were you following all the rules for search and seizure that type right. of thing 
So very procedural, it sounds like. Oh, very much. A lot so. of lot of review and approvals and Oh yeah, there's lots of filters. Yeah. You know, police officers are very good at writing because we write a lot of reports. You know, a big chunk of our job is writing. So say, you know, you're chasing a stolen car down the street and you get somebody that's in custody, maybe they're wanted for robbery or whatever. And that's about 15 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe half an hour of fun on the street. Mm -hmm. Now you're, you're staring at about eight hours of screen, staring at a computer screen. Good me. Good, good grief. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that part is not fun and you don't see that on TV. Yeah. So that, that, (laughs) that's the part that's tough. And then all your reports are going to be read by a lot of people. When you write a report, whoever the Lieutenant is, is going to approve the report, mm-hmm. say you're a police officer, or if you're a detective, your sergeant or your lieutenant's going to approve the report, and then the report is going to go to the district attorney's office. They're going to read your report, and then if they charge it, the defense attorney is going to have a copy of all the reports also. Mm. So, you know, I know I'm dating myself, but with the Perry Mason stuff, you know, where somebody comes in at the last second with the surprise, whatever, that doesn't happen. There are no surprises. Everybody right. everybody has a level playing field. It's a long time coming. Yes. So, so you, you probably get pretty careful then about what you're writing very you know, much when you're so. at work. And is does that did that carry it over at all into into writing your own stuff, or was it just such a relief that like there was no gatekeeper? You didn't need to well, worry about for- it. For fiction, it was really cool because then I didn't have to worry about any of that. Yeah. But for the nonfiction, I want to make sure you know I get it, my my facts straight, you know, and convey the right information to people. Right, because your peers are going to be watching. You know? Oh yeah, my yeah. peers, and um, I just want to make sure it's right. You know, yeah. As far as the nonfiction goes, yeah, like I said, you know, it's a different part of your brain, I think, and um, yeah, it, it, it's different. And you just want to make sure everything you do is up to snuff and all the information you're giving people is true and accurate. Mm. And every now and then my, I drove my editor crazy because I'd be switching tenses, you know, it's a, well, the police, you don't know, do this or that. And I'd be like, well, when you, and it's like, when I, and she's like, no, <laughs> I'm like, sorry. Old mm. habits die hard. <laughs> my inner my inner smart ass is is like one thinking right now what a great opportunity to ask a real expert okay how do i get out of a traffic infraction <laughs> you know it all depends um <laughs> provide caveat this is not legal advice <laughs> no this is not legal advice this is life advice yeah you know it depends on what the infraction is how heinous it is uh-huh. you know and who's stopping you is a big part of it. Yeah. Like the neighborhoods that I work in, if we're stopping a car, we're stopping cars because, A, well, if you're acting like an ass in front of us, yeah, you're going to get stopped. Mm-hmm. But most of the time we're looking for something criminal. Yeah. You know, is there a gun sticking out of like the back seat? You know, is there drugs in the car? Right. That kind of thing. Or right. the car matches the description of a car that's wanted for, you know, fill in the blank. Right. But like the motorcycles on most departments, those are the traffic enforcers. Mm-hmm. So they take their job pretty seriously. Um, 
like everything in life, we kind of write our own tickets. And if you're courteous, mm. you don't have to kiss you know the cop's ass. But at the same time, if you start out with a tirade, things right. probably aren't going to go so great. Right. You know, like- so just be <laughs> just be open and honest, and say, "Hey, I'm not saying that you should admit guilt, right? But you know, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, and see where see where the chips fall, right? I like that. Like most things in life, we write our own tickets. We do, <laughs> and you know, it's funny because my first partner on the job was a female, and we were patrolling around um, a university. And this girl was just driving like a complete moron. Mm-hmm. So we pull her over and we knew we were going to have a busy night. Usually we wouldn't do traffic because we knew any second we'd be going to a shooting mm. or something big. Right. And, you know, this is just like a little bit of downtime, but it was like right in front of us. When we're in a marked squad. She went like through a red light. Mm-hmm. And the, it was a girl. She was a young uh, college, you know, co-ed. And she was good looking mm-hmm. and she was just bawling. Oh, my dad's going to kill me. Oh, da, da, da. oh please officer. Mm-hmm. Da, da, da. And we went back to the car. My partner looked at me. She said, if you don't write that ticket, I will. <laughs> she said, tears don't work. <laughs> tears don't work. Yeah. Tears don't work on me. And I'm like, all right, I'm fine with that. So I wrote her a ticket and I came back. Wow, she went from tears to MF in half a second. Really? Oh yeah. I'm like, well, keep t- keep talking. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Feel bad for, for the family dynamic there. <laughs> so yeah. So I learned very quickly. It was like, yeah, with, with my partner, she said, yeah, good looking girls who cry aren't gonna get any breaks from me. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh Hey, so is there any like advice for when you were maybe a new author that you wish somebody had told you earlier? Um, patience. You know, mm. I, I thought my first book was going to sell thousands and thousands of copies. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have to work too hard to do it. Right. Wrong. <laughs> I'm t- I was totally wrong. You know, it's just, I guess the thing is just keep on get your head down and just keep on working and work smarter and not harder. Mm. Yeah, I mm. wish I would have put more money into editing, um, proofreading terms, you know, the basics. And I realize that, you know, some people are on a shoestring budget. It's, it's not easy. Right. You know, you just do the best with what you got and what works for one person doesn't work for everybody. But I think if you get the basics down and you have a good story, you have a really good chance of succeeding. Mm. People, you know, it's the shiny object syndrome where, you know, the, the latest book marketing hack or whatever. But if you don't have a good story mm. to begin with, you're really not going to go very far. And a good cover that you know catches people's eyes, a blurb that will kind of hook people into your story or what you're writing mm-hmm. and, you know, a cover that, you know, jumps out at people and kind of grabs them that all those basic stuff, you know, I, I wish I would have paid more attention to when I was newer. Right. And you think that was because of patience mostly that you did. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
I just want to get everything out there right now and make money. Right. Like it's just going to happen. This one thing I'm working on is going to change my life. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny how it works. And I, I guess it's a question of motive and intent when you're, when you're doing the work, right. Are you doing it because you enjoy the process? I, li- I like the motive and intent though that I use that a lot in my line of business. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. So what's your motive and intent for the next year ahead? Speaking of patience and writing and. Well, I'm retiring. So my motive is to make it to the end without too many scratches on me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's number one. Then after that, I'm going to take it easy for a little bit. I'm going to concentrate on the writing and kind of see which way the wind is blowing and see where this takes me. Oh, that's awesome. And how can listeners find you and your books? Um, I'm on Amazon. I'm exclusive to Amazon right now under uh, Cops and Writers. Mm-hmm. I also have a website, www.copsandwriters.com. I have a Facebook group, and that's Cops and Writers. I'd love yeah. to have you over there. Cool, and I'll make great. sure to include I'll make sure to include links in the episode notes. Uh, I, I highly recommend the group. It's a great great place to go and ask questions. Yeah, I, I want it to be a place where people, you know, can go ask questions and not feel weird or silly or embarrassed or whatever. I mean, I I encourage group participation. I'm not the only person with law enforcement experience. So other people uh, answer the questions too and they do do a good job of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't just have like police officers in there. You may have like lawyers and other things. Oh, yeah, there. absolutely. Yeah. I've got uh, prosecutors, defense attorneys, uh, forensic investigators, retired and active law enforcement. So, yeah, yeah. I've got a great group going right now. That's, I'm really happy with it. That's a treasure trove for sure. Yes. For, any, for anybody who wants to tap into it. Absolutely. Well, Patrick, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover The Fearless Storyteller podcast.